WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. State Senator Eric Nesbitt is reflecting on the last session of the Michigan legislature as a missed opportunity. He tells us with Democrats in control of both chambers for the first time in about 40 years, they ran wild with progressive priorities, ignoring overtures from Republicans seeking cooperation. Nesbitt says the year got off to a bad start as Democrats attempted to block an income tax cut from taking effect. While they weren't able to do that, he says they did ram through several bills with no input from the other side of the aisle. For one, Nesbitt says they gave handouts to unions. At every opportunity, as I've reached out my hand to try to work towards a common sense middle solution, the Democrat majority made the conscious choice to sprint to the far left with their big progressive donors and big unions, big trial lawyers, and those who just want to grow the size and scope of government. Nesbitt notes that energy package also stripped away local control for zoning for wind and solar projects, warning this could lead to farmland being industrialized. He says the Democrats also stuck it to Republicans by moving the state's presidential primary to February of next year. That violated RNC rules and will result in Michigan Republicans losing about 90 percent of their delegates to the GOP convention. It looks like we're heading for a second lost decade on top of the Democrats' extreme energy plan that would end the use of natural gas in Michigan and that would drive up utility rates and energy prices in Michigan and make make our energy grid less reliable. The Berrien County Board of Commissioners has taken another step to prepare for the use of $8 million in opioid settlement money expected to come to the county in the next two decades. Due to a national settlement with drug manufacturers over the use of opioids, the funds will trickle into the county over 18 years. In early November, the board approved the recommendations of the Berrien County Opioid Task Force and issued a request for funding proposals. Yesterday, the board voted to create an opioid settlement RFP review team and an opioid settlement oversight committee. The review team will review and score proposals submitted for the use of the funds. It'll include the county medical director, the specialty court manager, corporate counsel, sheriff, health officer, prosecutor, and two commissioners. The oversight committee will consist of 15 members and will meet at least quarterly to review how opioid funds are being used. Members will include the health department, the sheriff's department, Riverwood, and local clergy. The county will receive its first round of funding around $1 million between next year and 2026. Also on Thursday, the board approved a resolution applauding the work of the Berrien County Opioid Task Force which has been meeting for more than a year to discuss uses of the settlement funds. South Haven is getting a federal grant of $27.6 million for water system work. City Manager Kate Hosier tells us the funds from the Environmental Protection Agency will mean several projects, including lead line replacements, a water main replacement, a new booster station, and the relocation of a water tank. This work is all with the water distribution system. So this is water that's coming out of our water filtration plant, and then it's being moved to some of the booster station, the elevated tanks, and that's where we hold the water till it's moved out to our various districts. So the water system has over 11,000 customers. Moving that water around is critical to making sure that people have clean drinking water to use. Hosier salutes the city staff for securing the grant from the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund, telling us it's the largest such grant she's had come across her desk. There's not yet any timetable for when the work will be done. State Representative Pauline Wenzel has introduced legislation seeking to ensure that green energy projects use ethically sourced components. Her office says the legislation ensures in order to receive any taxpayer dollars, the components used in the production of electric vehicles and green energy generation are not produced using forced, unsafe, oppressive, child or slave labor. It tells us that materials like cobalt and polysilicon come from areas like the Democratic Republic of Congo and China, where child labor is sometimes used. 
Wenzel's legislation amends the Management and Budget Act to prohibit state procurement of electric vehicles unless provided with a sworn declaration that the manufacturer certifies every person involved in the mining or sourcing of the materials did not employ forced labor or child labor. Her bill is part of a package of bills introduced this week. Wenzel says with the state house going to an even split in January, she hopes the package has a chance of passing. A monument to a Medal of Honor recipient, Jim McLuhan, will be dedicated tomorrow in South Haven. Bruce Thatcher with the American Legion Post in South Haven tells us the ceremony will be at 11 a.m. He notes McLuhan received his Medal of Honor in 2017 and thinks it's taken too long to honor him. Jim is the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the state of Michigan and is one of 65 in the country. So he is really a treasure and we shouldn't forget this. The South Haven City Council approved the monument back in May. It's right out in front of City Hall. Thatcher says everyone's invited to attend the dedication at 11 a.m. Saturday. There will then be a meet and greet at the American Legion from 12 to 2. McLuhan received the Medal of Honor for his actions to save other soldiers in the Vietnam War. Thatcher calls him a treasure to the community. Lake Michigan College will hold International Education Week next week with free events for students, faculty, staff, and the community. LMC's International Committee says student activist and speaker Jacob Breit will participate throughout the week. He recently graduated from the University of Wisconsin, receiving a bachelor's degree in global health with a minor in organic agriculture. He's doing work all over the world to help impoverished nations get adequate food and water. There are events scheduled Monday through Thursday as part of International Education Week. They include discussions on turning ideas into action, global health, student activism, environmental sustainability, and making change through health science. The week will wrap up Thursday with a screening of Breit's documentary, A Just Transition, followed by a discussion. We'll have the full schedule for the week, which will include events at all three LMC campuses at our website. More charging access for electric vehicles is coming to Michigan. Recently approved legislation aims to expand Michigan's infrastructure for charging stations. The bill allows charging station operators to resell electricity to electric car owners without requiring them to be regulated as utilities. Justin Carpenter with the Michigan Energy Innovation Business Council says Michigan's EV infrastructure is not currently suitable for statewide EV use. Our charging infrastructure is is not where it should be. I, I think um, we especially need to look to places like the UP. Um, you know, if, if half the state's geographical uh, territory is underserved, then of course people won't want to buy an electric vehicle. Lawmakers believe the bill will provide incentives to businesses to build charging stations and make it more convenient for electric car owners to drive on long trips. The legislation still needs to be signed by the governor. WSJM News Now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News Now continues. Another potential government shutdown is just one week away, and House Republicans have no path forward. ABC's M. Wynn has more from Washington. Although the House has left for the weekend and will return on Monday, all eyes are still on the new speaker, Mike Johnson, to rally GOP support behind a new spending proposal. Republican leadership has indicated they want to vote as early as next Tuesday on a funding bill, yet no plan has been presented. Republicans are weighing options, including passing a continuing resolution or a laddered approach, essentially staggering the deadlines for different federal services. Congress needs to pass a funding bill before the November 17th deadline. Emwin, ABC News, Washington. Thousands of Palestinians sheltering from Israel-Hamas war at Gaza City's main hospital are fleeing south today after several reported strikes in and around the compound overnight. 
They join a growing exodus of people escaping intense urban fighting in the north, including near other hospitals. The search for safety across Gaza has grown desperate as Israel intensifies its assault on the territory's largest city. Gaza officials say more than 11,000 Palestinians have died during the war, which was triggered by a Hamas attack on Israel that killed 1,400. Meanwhile, the White House says Israel has agreed to open a second humanitarian corridor. That's after agreeing to four-hour pauses to allow civilians to take shelter from the fighting. More from ABC's Ines de la Quatera in Jerusalem. The White House saying Israel has agreed to expand four-hour combat pauses in northern Gaza, creating safe corridors for civilians to evacuate. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu claims the humanitarian pauses have allowed more than 100,000 people to evacuate to the south. The U.S. is involved in high-level talks to free the hostages taken by Hamas. CIA Director Bill Burns met with Israeli and Qatari officials in an attempt to strike a deal. The Jordan River is a winding 200-plus-mile run to the east of Israel in the occupied West Bank. The sea is the glittering Mediterranean to its west, but a phrase about the space in between from the river to the sea has become a battle cry with a new power to royal Jews and pro-Palestinian activists in the aftermath of Hamas's deadly rampage across southern Israel on October 7th and Israel's bombardment of, of Gaza. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, chanted pro-Palestinian activists from London to Rome to Washington. Many Palestinian activists say it's a call for freedom after 75 years of Israeli statehood. Jews hear a demand for Israel's destruction. New York City hosts the country's largest Veterans Day parade this weekend. 20,000 veterans are expected to march in the 104th annual parade. Among them will be active-duty U.S. Navy sailors and Marines from the USS New York, which arrived in the city. ABC's N.J. Burkett reports from New York. The USS New York, it is what's known as an amphibious assault ship. The ship is made using seven and a half tons of steel salvaged from the ruins of the World Trade Center. The weekend's commemorations culminate with the annual Veterans Day parade, thousands expected. City officials have been clear there are no specific credible threats against the city at the moment, although security is being ramped up this weekend as a precaution. Threatening letters sent to local election offices in at least five states, some including fentanyl, are the latest concern for local election workers around the country. They already have faced harassment and even death threats since the 2020 presidential election. An environment of fear and exhaustion has led to staff turnover, which has sparked concern over how prepared local election offices are heading into what's shaping up to be a highly difficult election year. Despite the worries, election directors say they and their staffs are resilient and more committed than ever to run secure elections in 2024. Following Democratic Senator Joe Manchin's announcement that he will not seek re-election, there's a slim chance his party will keep the majority in the Senate. More from ABC's M. Wynn. Senator Joe Manchin served six years as West Virginia's governor before his election to the Senate in 2010 and was seen as the only Democrat with enough support to hold on to that seat in that beat red region. The 76-year-old saying it was the toughest decision of his life to not seek re-election. That means Senate Republicans would need just one more seat or none at all, depending on who wins the White House as the vice president could be a tiebreaker. M. Wynn, ABC News, Washington. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has been increasingly isolated on foreign policy among his GOP colleagues, a growing number of whom have distanced themselves as a matter of course from U.S. involvement abroad and especially with Ukraine. Their sentiment has especially been shaped by former President Donald Trump, who railed against forever wars in his words. The Republican dissension over the issue has been a pivotal moment in U.S. politics that's put part of the Ukraine aid and America's role in the world in doubt. The White House is pushing Congress to pass a massive foreign aid package for both Ukraine and Israel's war against Hamas. 
Failing to pass the aid would be a, quote, disaster for Ukraine, a disaster for us, according to McConnell. And there are rising concerns about air passenger safety as we close in on the holiday travel season. The National Air Traffic Controllers Association Union president is warning U.S. airports could be at greater risk of near collisions and other close calls with fewer air controls keeping watch and the threat of a government shutdown. Here's ABC's Justin Finch in Washington. The president of the union representing air traffic controllers testifying about widespread fatigue with work schedules, including mandatory overtime. Last year's controller controllers at 40% of our facilities worked six-day work weeks at least once a month. And several of our facilities require six-day work weeks and 10-hour days every single week. Over the last year, the FAA identified at least 23 close calls, including a Delta plane at New York's JFK Airport, nearly colliding with an American Airlines flight on the wrong runway. 